0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Vietnam Innovators. I'm your host, Hao. Uh, Today, we have a guest. His name is Te An. He's the partner and head of corporate finance at KPMG here in Vietnam. And he's here to share some insights about M&A, merger and acquisitions, especially during this time of year. Uh, we're en- nearing the end of the year, but also reflecting on the fact that the macroeconomic conditions in Vietnam have been a bit tough, and a lot of companies are exploring ways to merge, to acquire, to invest, uh, especially when times are tough and things are looking ahead in 2024, though, at the same time. So uh, welcome to the show, and thank you Thanks so much for, for being here. Um, yeah. I think, again, very timely topic that we're covering mm. here today, because uh, I myself, we're, we're a startup company and people are talking about the startup winter and how funding has really dried up and that sometimes paves the way for m&a mm-hmm. um companies are looking to always grow and um instead of building it themselves they end up buying mm. um and we've seen a flurry of other m&a activity throughout vietnam recently as well especially in sectors like healthcare. um what are your initial thoughts on just the macro landscape before mm-hmm. we dive into, oh, we need an intro first. <laughs> Why don't we go there? <laughs> Let's do that. Then, yeah. an, uh, then a macro kind of take 60 second elevator pitch okay. on what's going on, and we'll go into it.
1: Okay, so my name's uh, Teang. I'm a partner running the corporate finance team at KBMG Vietnam. So my day-to-day job is to have famous companies for fundraising or fire uh, investor or the other the other way around that we have you know for investor to acquire a business company so mm-hmm. sell side and buy side okay. but we are pretty much doing most of our job uh, you know with the local corporate with mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. this is this is what the market where we want to be uh-huh. because again at the end of the day we as a, as a firm, we have great belief, confidence in the, you know, in the local economy of this country, believe in the, in, in the, some of the founders or some of the corporates. So, and then I think that's where we find the strength with our expertise within, you know, accounting, uh, tax, legal, and, and then corporate finance. So we have a, a whole strength of, of expertise that we could have, uh, you know, the, the local corporates. I mean, I just look back at what we have done in the last five years. On average, we work on more than 10 projects. And then we close a couple of deals. And then we got nominated as you know and awarded as like, the M&A advisors for for fifteen years from there. But again, I think what we most proud of is just to be able to work with the with the founders like you and mm. it's just happen growth and you know and be being bigger and, and financing the for for the expansion.
0: yeah, it's very interesting you mentioned Vietnamese companies to do the investments and acquisitions mm. of, of other Vietnamese companies, I assume.
1: Vietnamese companies have received funding from investors. Yeah. And then mm. I think one of the interesting trends is that some Vietnamese companies also seeing M&A or acquisition as a path to growth or mm. inorganic growth. Okay. In, particularly in time like this, right? If you're able to acquire a team or products or a capacity that you don't have before mm. at a reasonable price to make your advantage just get more more competitive then, mm. then it's, a, it's a good way to go so, so we see that getting more popular here
0: okay mm. when you say getting more popular mm. where have we started because I, I, I do agree with you it's not popular I guess you can say because most companies with cash mm. in Vietnam mm. Mm. they tend to buy not not, not buy even build. they tend to build right. themselves mm. um, and I, I think that kind of mindset comes down to more a traditional business mindset in terms of like control and governance but by buying you're buying over an asset that you didn't you didn't build right mm-hmm. it's it's about capability uh, capacity building um, so walk me through where we started to where we are now and and what's driving that chain
1: i mean the t- t- traditional thinking is still okay it's it's easier to build because you know you as a as a management team you build pick the team you pick the investment you, you do all the capex and you know, then it's in the control mm. When you buy something, it's new, culturally, differently. And then all of the, you know, and D are so different. Right? So a lot of integration takes place. It costs, maybe sometimes fail. So I think the risk is there if you acquire a new company. But I think the mindset started to change when we have some pioneer You know, people like Masam or Group, right? They mm. start to do a lot of acquisition, and then it works. So to the business community that... Acquisition it another way to grow. To be honest, I think Vietnam, it, it's also a part of the world, right? When we globally, it's nothing new, right? It happened in, you know, for I don't know, a few hundred years of history. Mm-hmm. So it happened elsewhere. And then I think... In Vietnam, when we start to have a large column like Masan or Vin Group have done, to do acquisition and then, again, the results and results help. It add on the ecosystem. It makes them stronger. Then people start to realize, okay, this is some way that I can you know, start to think of and then follow that model, right? So then it's other large column also, you know, start to doing so. And then the smaller, smaller. And then now even the startup also thinking, a larger startup also thinking, okay, maybe I don't have to buy the whole company, mm-hmm. right? To buy a product or to buy a team or to buy certain assets. But it just saved me time because sometimes time is an opportunity cost that you cannot afford it, right?
0: What, what companies are being acquired right now? Because you mm. list two companies, they're they're quite not only large, but mm. they're investing in more innovative spaces. So, mm. for instance, I, I'm familiar with Masan mm. Group investing into, let's say, Trusting Social. Mm. It's a very high-tech, data-driven company. Group, I'm not as familiar with uh, in terms of their acquisition strategy, but I assume it's related to their... EV business, for instance, uh, which also implies a bit more technology and advanced. Are we seeing M&A in more of those kind of businesses or in more traditional businesses like real estate company buying real estate company? Uh, Is it agricultural company buying agricultural company? What kind of M&A is happening right now?
1: I think the uh if you talk about the local conglomerates, I think I can give you one example that we on one of the their advisor. So Taco, right? Okay. Acquired EMAT. Mm. So the deal has been a couple of years ago. So Taco is famously for their, their auto business. Mm. Right? So they at the same time they started to work on to build up their commercial land bank. So they have a lot of land bank. But how do you convert that land bank into users. So the opportunity happened when when mart from Korea sell their uh, the imad vietnam business mm-hmm. there's a lot of, lot of reason but mm-hmm. taco sees the opportunities right mm-hmm. taco got land buying so now they're on the after the acquisition they're on the i think they always start to open the fourth uh location so it, when they acquire there's only one location yeah but now now they're on the default uh location already so this means that's mm-hmm. growing so why is it good because for taco they got a new business to venture outside the 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 auto business hmm. and then com- then they can leverage their commercial land bank and then you know I think again in Vietnam building and developing anything about land construction mm-hmm. it's not that easy i think this is one of the reasons why the auto shell that is find difficult just to build after the first location it's not easy for them to develop the second or third location right, right.
0: i mean you not might not be able to answer this question but mm. like who built this deal like of course advisors help structure it all the fine details or you know everything's bases. Are all covered? Uh, I assume the founder and the founder, you know, the executive teams of each company somehow um, know each other and they initiate those conversations. But it, it sounds like almost too good to happen to yeah. be true yeah. as well. Um, like, so how? Okay, so so, so I, I asked this question because there's a lot of startups uh, or even big em- corporates. Their M&A mm. teams are wondering, like, you know, we're doing so much deal flow and we can't mm. find anything. Mm. Or startups like, oh, I'm struggling. I need to get to acquired. Master. Okay, like, how do you? do deal matching in today's society?
1: A typical role for mm. an m advisor like us, mm. when we got a client, right, let's say a Vietnamese company wants to fundraising, like CB, CBC, or, or let's say I want maybe 20 million in I- equity. Okay. Help me to do so. Or I realize that, you know, I'm getting old enough and you know, my kid doesn't want to take over the business. So probably it's the time for me just to let this business go. I need to find a home for my business. So, so they come to people like us. And then, what we normally start to do is that like we look at the business, we have to figure out who will likely the buyer for this business. For example, if you're selling a supermarket, for example, most likely the buyer is going to be someone who is also running this kind of business. They might be someone already in Vietnam, or they may be someone you know, from elsewhere, you know, from Thailand, from Japan, or from Korea. So, I think we have to, as advisors, we have to figure that out, and then we work with the, the seller to see whether they are ready yet. Because if you're talking, about a sizable deal, 20 million, 30 million, then as a seller, you should expect that your potential buyer will have certain requirements mm. or standards, right. particularly in terms of compliance and in terms of how you present business to them. Because as a buyer, they're also responsible for to work, you know, their board of directors, their shareholders, or some of the compliance that they mm. have to you know, follow. So I think one of our jobs is that just to raise up the standard find the right bias, and then we talk about, you know, valuation and the structure.
0: Mm, got it, got it. So we have a couple companies that we've listed, everything from Taco mm. to Masan Group to Vingroup. Are there other active M&A sectors right now or companies that you think are worth highlighting today for our audience to know, to, to understand what trends are emerging in Vietnam? What kind of acquisitions and mergers are happening?
1: I think you also, I think, briefly mentioned earlier that a lot of deals happening around the healthcare space. Uh I think healthcare is still ongoing. I think Uh we see there's a couple of healthcare deals going to the market, or it's it's still ongoing. And then, in your education. I think we, as a firm, we're also working on a couple of education uh, deals. So, I think the reason why healthcare and education are probably the favorite for investors because the, the demand for healthcare and education is kind of resilient, right? So as the parents you know, still want the kids to go to school, I think Vietnamese students or normal Asia parents are willing to spend a lot of their budgets on the kid education. So mm-hmm. those sectors, I would say, are resilient in the context that the normal income is kind of shrinking down.
0: So th- those two industries will never change in the economic situation. Right. That's, and that's true. Particularly
1: yeah. Vietnam, that I think another factor in Vietnam why education and healthcare mm-hmm. is kind of a bit more interesting in the way that those industries normally dominated by the public. Mm. But, and then the private is maybe on smaller part, but somehow given certain constraints from the government budget, so it just opened the way for the private sector to, you know, to gain market share from the public.
0: We talked a lot about M&A and, and the kind of large scale macro trends, thank you for sharing on. Um, what funding options does a Vietnamese business have? Mm. And when do Vietnamese founders start thinking about M&A? So th- those two questions are together because a lot of um, our audience are startup founders maybe thinking about starting a company. Mm. Um, so maybe you can answer that, uh, okay. those two questions together. Okay.
1: I think a very typical uh, funding option is to go to the bank. Right? Mm-hmm. But I think go to bank is not easy, particularly when the bank will, will require you to have assets, you know, collateral. Mm-hmm. Then you go to your friends, families, you know, it is for equity. Mm-hmm. But again, when your stock goes bigger, then I mean, your friends may not have enough money to finance you or, or your families. So I think uh, then the two normal channels that you can think of, is just I would say go for IPO, but... You have to get to the certain state for IPO. Mm-hmm. And the IPO market in Vietnam, if we look at the, the number, right, for the last few years, the amount raised through IPO in Vietnam, probably less than 50 million. But if you look at another channel, which is more financial investor, private equity, or VCs, these the number we have for 2021 20, 20, is about 10 billion. So, IPO market versus the private markets. So, obviously, a lot more people go, go get funding through mm. the MA or the private
0: market. Mm. Uh, do you think that that trend will persist for I th- the um, I think the at the least
1: for the next few years, mm-hmm. I think the preferred option is to go through, I would say, private market. Mm. Uh, because for IPO market, whether a lot of people are going to raise funds through IPO market, there's still a certain constraint in the IPO market right now. So mm. in term of capacity to run fund raisings and evaluations. so there's some constraint. But for profit market, the, the dry powder or the available funding is, is there.
0: Where's that funding coming from? Is it like uh, the Vietnamese company, like Masan Group, or is it, and, is it or um, international investors, or is it both?
1: I think mainly the um, the domestic funding versus the offshore funding. Mm-hmm. So I would say dominantly is offshore funding. Offshore. So offshore funding, we talk okay. about uh, finance investor. Mm-hmm. So the private equity, the venture capitals. And then we're talking about social investor, some of the, uh, the Korean or the Japanese, um, mm-hmm. uh, or even the South Asia, the Thai mm-hmm. investor.
0: And what would be the biggest challenges a Vietnamese company faces when Undergoing any of these possible investment opportunities, M&A or otherwise, yeah. um, is it corporate governance? Is it? You know, I'm sure there's m- many other challenges. Mm-hmm. But if you could highlight just a few for the audience to take away,
1: I would say the the challenge would be would be different among the stakes of your the business. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you're small, then I mean the appetite from the investor will be higher. Let's say maybe they expect less. But the bigger your business, then you aim at the, I would say, the richer investor, then the expectation will be higher. So I give you an example. If you expect to raise 20 million and above, then your government had to be compliant in terms of tax accounting, Mm. legal should be in a certain standard. And then, you know, you, as a constructor of the government, you know, board of directors and stuff like this, or even the, your cap table have certain institutional investors already. Uh-huh. right? But you, if you start up, you raise a round 500000 or, or a million, then your cap table, probably only you and a couple of founders, your accounting may not need to be audited yet, so the challenge that because different expectation, expecting different level, right? So because we normally work on the range of fifteen to 10, twenty million deals and above, then the challenge for that segment is that we call interpret readiness, right? So mm. most of the time, you know, particularly private and family businesses are not ready, you know, for an institutional investor to come in.
0: Readiness—that's an interesting right. uh, word. Uh, do you guys help with that? Do you so? Walk me through what readiness looks like, because I have gone through a similar process for my own company in recent times where up until about two years ago, we had certain protocols that were not either followed, like just generally speaking, or we just didn't have. And a lot of those are now built out, but it's taken a lot longer than most people would think. You you think, oh, let's just switch it next month. Yes, but then you have other things like mindset of the team and then working ways of working and people. Uh, What is readiness in in your world look like? So let's say I'm a company that's not ready. So how do I become ready?
1: I would uh, define the readiness in terms of maybe two types. The infrastructure, again, the, your accounting where it's ready, your taxes where it's ready, in terms of compliance, is this more mm-hmm. compliant. And then, for example, I mean, most investors would want to see how the the company is running in terms of you know, P&Ls, in terms of your unit economics. But, your accounting team or your finance team not able to produce that kind of information, So, which means that either your management accounting or your the way you run a your business is probably not right yet. At the same time that you may look at the total uh, revenue, mm-hmm. right? the company still grows, but you might not know exactly where this growth came from or, or which products or business are making more money than other products or the other way or so this is more like compliance stuff but the uh, the mindset whether you have openness to work with investor particularly the more traditional business like the family business that been passed over to maybe one generation so the the capacity to work with external investor or institutional institutional investor outside investor is not that easy right so Looking at the investor uh, point of view, right, they might not involve in managing the business, so they would rely on the management of the founder to run the business for their interest. If they're not able to trust the founder, the management, is, it's very difficult for them to, to invest the money in.
0: Let's say a deal gets done between companies, especially in the Vietnam context. What, what factors make for a post-merger success story?
1: Normally investing or putting money in this is just one easy part, mm-hmm. but the the more challenging part is is how you actually you know, as a buyer you integrate the the, the target into the whole ecosystem. Mm. And then uh, again in this case it's different between if you are just you know, finance investor you acquire a minority stake and. So most of the of the integration probably not happen. Right? So you've got to leave the, the management of the founder just to run the business. So And mm-hmm. then most of the time, just purely reporting. But this is an easy part. But if a different scenario where you as a collaborate or you as a company acquire the whole business of one startup, right? how you actually integrate that startup into your ecosystem, it's a mm-hmm. it's, it's challenge. Right? So yep. the key success factor for an acquisition, I see a couple of playbook for those professional buyer, they might have... And I call PMI post-merger integration team already. Even when they start doing working on the deal to analyze what the you know, the gap between the the acquire and the target. So their job is just to figure out if the deal goes you know go on well and successfully. Then what kind of thing that needs to be done just to close the gap so that you know the integration could be successfully. But if you are just local a small team, you don't have the budget. Then I think one of the playbook one of the the practice that I see when we work with a software company sells so to an U.S. buyer. So I saw the founder of that startup and the founder, the buyer, maintain a regular dialogue to talk about integration even during the deal happen, right? So during that dialogue, there's a lot of, of honest discussion uh, about, you know, synergy, what they do together, if they, you know, being one team, into products, into market, in terms of cost, in terms of research. So there's a lot of chance for discussion and topic around the cost, you know, the, the team, the future plan. So I saw that it's beyond trust, beyond on, on certain foundations that we get on into one team. Mm-hmm. What could be one plus one, could be three or four or five, and, and how we do it. So I think that one of the, I could call this successful because I met with the team just a couple of months back and then they're very happy with after they
0: do. How about, how about failures in, in your experience? I'm sure you've had yeah. maybe a couple <laughs> in your career, but um, yeah, hopefully not too many. I think failure
1: in terms of that, the seller might, after the acquisition, the buyer might not get the result that they want when they set out to do the acquisition. The, the example I mentioned here, that so on, a foreign investor acquire a target because um, the foreign buyer finds it difficult to mm. enter in a market. Distribution. So the target in Vietnam have a wide network of distribution Mm -hmm. uh, through GT and MT. So the intended idea is just to acquire this and then use that platform, this platform to channel the buyer products through that channel. So after the deal done, the revenue created for the buyer not to the level that they expect. So this they call it a failure. But when we talk to seller, I think a couple of lessons that culturally running a distribution team but local have required different type kind of mindset, right? So basically the, the founder, when he or she is still instruct, in, they very close to the sales team, you know, talk to them, go to market, you know, knowing what's going on in, in each of the distribution, let's say it's a supermarket or it's the vendor, right? So they know exactly what's going on and then they, they can, you know, give a motivation, push, or have a, a bit more demand with the, with the sales team, mm. right? But when a COVID come in, everything run by TPIs. So stuff like that is a changing in the mindset or how you run the business.
0: So um, my next question kind no. of, uh, why is there a need for M&A advisors then? Mm. Um, if, you know, it's not 100% guarantee success and never works out right. 100% <laughs> of the time. That's true. Please walk us through. Walk okay. us through that,
1: yeah. Right. I think the fact that I'm here and, and then some of my uh, colleagues prove that there's a true need for admin advisors. Most of the time when we ask why should I hire you as an advisor, I think our response is first. One of the easiest benefits that we could have you take care of the fundraising or the divestment or the process because you as an operator, you should focus on the business. Every single investor, a buy would expect the company, the target that they acquire have at least stable or growing performance. They don't want, you know, to acquire something that's, you know, going down, right? So you as an operator of the business should make sure that the performance has been running proper. And then you've been, if you've been distracted with, with that, then it's going to be impact. Mm. And You don't want that to happen. So that's the first thing. So we as a professional advisor, we can help you a lot with, you know, taking up that lot of you know, your responsibility, this is first. But it's not the, the major benefit. I think our job is just to close the gap between the target, the various company, and the investor. I think, particularly in Vietnam context, that some of the Vietnamese company, I would say, first time seller, or even they have done that, but the, the expectation from the investor, particularly if you look at large side, like 15, 20 million. U.S. dollar size. Right? So the the demands or the expectation from the investor uh, I would say much higher than the company can manage. Mm. Right? So we as advisor we know what they're looking at we know the appetite we know what kind of information they want.
0: So who, who do you end up usually representing more, the buyer or the seller? The seller. The seller. The, okay. seller.
1: the business company. Uh, okay. The, the, the companies Almost
0: team. all the time actually, I think or I,
1: I would say 80% of okay. the time that we work on the, on the seller side.
0: I see. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. Um, let's talk about uh, some trends and, and future outlook. Mm. So we talked about what's going on. money mm. activity has dropped. Mm. Uh, there are still some bright spots you mentioned education and healthcare. Um, could you share what's going to happen, you think, moving forward uh, with the M&A market just in, let's say, the next two years?
1: I think it was just to mention a little bit about the past. I think, you know, 2021 is a pick. Mm. 22, drop. And 23, drop even you know further. So I think we have seen I mean, I'm not saying the worst, but one of the very challenging markets right now. Volume value this year easily down like 25% or 30% for this last year. Mm. Uh, but it's not just ha- happening in Vietnam, but globally. So it's, it's a global condition. I think macro or big picture why, to be honest, I think the, some of the view right now for 2024 that maybe the macro might not change significantly, right? Maybe a, a huge growth going to come back for a lot of sectors, probably not that soon yet. Uh, so whether I should wait, to do fundraising or to look for a startup process, whether I should now or should do in you know maybe another year. So that question they have to address. Some of the thinking right now is oh let's do it now because valuation why probably not change a lot between now and next year because revenue might not be you know growing or pick up a lot. So if I do it now, I get some certain cash, then I am able to grow versus my competitors. Then okay, so let's do it now. So from that angle, we start to see company, you are know, going to market, talking to us, advisor, and get our view whether they should be now. And at the same time, I think one of the potential buyer, an investor, or, or the private equity or the VC, uh, particularly the private equity, that they do still have a lot of dry powder, mm. the money to invest. So so if you are, I would call them quality company, high quality companies, then the chance of fundraising could happen already, right? Because supply demand, right? Not a lot of, let's say two, three years ago a lot of companies just go out and fundraising. But now, it's not a lot in good condition. So, supplies why drop a lot, a lot, a lot, right? And then, on the demand side, I think the drive-out are still there because they raised a lot of money in 2021 or 2020. That driver is still there. For the last two years, this, they focused on their portfolio company, right? Improve them, but their job is to invest outside as well, not just focus on their portfolio company. So, mm-hmm. it's time for some of them to we'll look at to invest right now, but of course they're gonna prefer the money will to you know quality deals.
0: That leads me to my next question, which is about sustainable business practices. Um, I, I actually saw a meme on Twitter the other day where, like, VCs they're like, "Oh, we want more growth," and then now they're all like, you know, scared of it. They're, right. all, they're all wanting, demanding profit and right, gro- right. before growth. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's your comment about how investors have shifted in preference of that model? Mm-hmm. They're they're kind of shying away from venture backed startups that don't make any cash. What's what's your thought about that?
1: Correct. I think that one of the the chain that uh, we can easily see happening in the last, I think, six months or a year that VC or finance investor let say if we introduce the deal that a startup make no money, they quickly say no, right away. Very easy. So that mindset change, and then obviously it's impact on the startup for fundraising. For tech and startup, we used to work with quite a few. We work on tech, we work on prop tech, we work on testing. Right. So we work on quite a few startups. And back then, not many people care EBITDA or
0: mm-hmm.
1: particular cash flow. But right now, all the talk is about economics. Or cash positive, break even. EBITDA.
0: Have a lot yeah. of startups uh, died recently? Have because you seen? of that or will? Because die? of that
1: change? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. If you're red and your cash it's you know, six months or 12 months, and then you're not to the point of actually a break even. Creating revenue, enough revenue. You're very, difficult, last. very difficult to raise money.
0: So, from your discussions with, with the investors, out there and there's a lot of dry powder and I, I have to agree with you. So they're having a hard time getting past their investment committees, any sort of investment, unless yeah. they're having, ex- showcase- the start showcasing some sort of financial resiliency right, right, at the moment.
1: I think we're working on the deal right now. I think the reason we take on this mandate because we see a clear path mm-hmm. to profitability, basis. so the cash flow showing positive right? and then their cost coming down significantly at the same time the, the revenue still goes up. Right. So if you an investor, you expect a startup for four or five years so that you are profitable. It's very difficult. For some business, it's not that easy because sometimes you, you, know, you still have to grow first. So for certain investors, particularly VC, I think they understand this, but your job as a startup has to show them very clear path to profitability. Mm. How you do it from you know increase the revenue or lower the cost, or focus on one market instead of, you know, four or five markets. So it has to be in your mindset that, okay, I'm going to do these products or this market because I will be able to see profitability within one or two years. I mean... It's like, it's like running
0: a normal business, you know, like... This is this is normal business, exactly. <laughs> yeah. but Before think, you, this
1: like four or five year, okay, whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's kind of funny if you think about it that way, because... And it also, you know, now, now there's an issue of scalability, right? Because uh, most startups receive money and spend it to to grow. Mm-hmm. But if they're now focused on profitability and they're not growing anymore, mm-hmm. then that also becomes an issue. Is that, is that true? Or is a startup...
1: Uh, to be honest, it's not fair to expect both growth and profitability mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the same time. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying that the company that we just recently take on, mm-hmm. they're able to show both growth to X mm-hmm. and then imagine improving mm-hmm. because cost down. Mm-hmm. So if you show that, Let's say in order to grow, you know, one dollar sales, you cost another dollar. Then basically, there's no no gain, right? Mm. So if you grow, let's say ten tens dollars, but mm. your cost like you know seven or six, and mm. then it's coming down. Then I think that's how you present to the investor the how you grow. But
0: so what 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 do you think is in the future of the SME slash startup? Ecosystem. What is the future for the, the founders in this space right now? Are, should they like batten down the hatches? Should they prepare for a long, sustained period of no money, and thus you need to focus on survival slash profitability? What What's your takeaways given what's going on?
1: Okay, so to be really honest and straightforward, that we've seen VC funding or success deal mm-hmm. drop. In easily 40%, 50% in, in Vietnam. So it's just to the fact that, that investor, particularly VC side, have been much more demanding in startup. So the advice that we normally have with startup focus on your cost control. Be leaner. You have to be leaner to survive. Maybe uh, doing bridge loan uh, with your existing investor and then come back a few months to show us that the if the number makes better sense, Although it's to be honest, it's difficult. Yeah. So the question is now is just to, you have to control your cost to make the the business more
0: sustainable. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I'm a Vietnamese entrepreneur. I'm playing a little role play. I guess I am. Um, I want to explore M&A as a growth strategy for my business. Perhaps mm. I, I'm looking to buy up smaller companies mm. or mm. merge. Um, what, what kind of commentary could you offer mm. uh, to founders looking to do that? Right now.
1: As I explained earlier, oh, that part of the channel or the, the option for growth is not just you know you build but you can acquire. So always think of acquiring another, you know, business or assets as a way to growth. And particularly now, I mean obviously some of the assets become I would say less expensive than before. Right? Then so my point here is that sometimes you don't have to pay cash, right? We see quite a few are thinking about just merge two business as a way to cut cost down. So, you know, you can be creative in terms of asking other startups to, to your hand as a way to save costs, and a way to improve the efficiency. So we have actually seen that. I think it's one quick way just to have both teams to survive. Otherwise, you know, each of them might be, you know, mm. might not be survived, right? So first figure out which target could be the best fit for your business, right? And then maybe come to talk to them, say, why should we you know, merge? Why should we, your hand, I, I see certain value in us being together, maybe shares, clients, maybe you know some costs can be reduced. Again, have to have a, an open mind. Because, I mean, to be honest, if you are in you know, difficulties, you know, people, other people also have the same issue. So if you offer them a solution, a way out, and that benefit, Both of them. So why why not?
0: Yeah, yeah. A solution. I like that. Like people will listen if you offer a solution. Yeah, of course.
1: I mean, every everybody is you know we're open to solutions that benefit them. Right, right. Let's say when we work with Vietnamese company, right? When we talk with potential buyer, we always have to tell them what good for them to acquire this company Mm -hmm. because nobody wants to see invest putting a lot of money without benefit, right? They yep. want to hear some upside mm. from the seller's perspective. Yes, yep. Because the seller know best about the market, about the company.
0: Mm. Right, right. Okay, very good. Well, thank you for sharing that, Tian. Mm-hmm. It's been a pleasure mm-hmm. to learn more about your practice as a leader for KPMG here in Vietnam and your insights uh, about what's going on here in Vietnam. My pleasure. Um, I always have one final question for my guests. Uh, we have you on the show here today to share about your expertise. Uh, what would you like to know more about so that we can invite a guest onto this show? Uh, perhaps from an industry, a company that you've always been curious about, mm-hmm. or perhaps for either for personal or for uh, making your job uh, better at your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of guest or industry would you like to hear from? It doesn't have to be anyone mm-hmm. specific either.
1: Actually, I think uh, we are building what we call a sector expertise within you know, KBMG and within the team. So mm. I would love to hear a uh, sector expert, I think, just mentioned healthcare and, and education. Mm. If you can ask any of the experts within healthcare and education. Okay. And then just share about you know, what's going on with the industry, whether those industries are actually still growing or or we think it's not resilient as we thought.
0: You know, in the, in the spirit of M&A, I, I think having, uh, I actually just met him. He's um, mm. the group CEO of Thompson Hospitals. They just ah, acquired okay, okay. uh, FE. I, yeah. I met him at Izakaya in District 1 the other day and he was talking about what they were doing. Uh, this was actually before the acquisition too. He was naming an unnamed talk. Okay, and okay. now it all makes sense. Right. And so um, I'll have to perhaps invite someone like him yeah. onto the show to yeah. hear about healthcare yeah. Yeah. And, and what's going on there. And of course, on the education mm-hmm. side, no one immediately on top of my head, I, uh, regarding M&A at least, um, or just in general growth. Well, I know a couple people, but um, hopefully we'll have them on the show very soon. Thank you Thanks so much have. Tan. Thanks, so. That's another episode of Vietnam Innovators. Thank you so much, everyone, and see you next week. Goodbye. You can also check out the video version of this podcast on our other platforms such as YouTube and Facebook. New episodes are out every week, so don't forget to subscribe to Vietcetra's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube channel for more interesting content.